It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. Today our guest is drummer Richard Barada, who is the band leader on a new jazz release called Music and Film, The Real Deal. Yes, it's about music from the movies that we all know and love. And yes, it's about a man who knows a thing or two about movies. In fact, we will find out just how that might relate to this album and a whole lot more with our guest today. Richard, thanks for being here with us. Well, thank you for having me, inviting me, and I hope that's something that the audience uh, will, will enjoy. Well, you know, since you're not only an incredible jazz drummer, but uh, also a well-known movie producer, you're well-traveled, you're a man whom you might say has lived life to its fullest. In starting out today, tell me about going down Africa's raging Zambezi River sideways in a rubber raft. Oh, wow. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I've lived my life to the fullest. I'm not sure about that. I'll let you know. Give me maybe 20, 25 more years, and I'll tell you about that. But um, that, that was a, uh, a, a vacation that, that, that I took uh, to South Africa. And one of the places we went, we were in the Zambezi River. And uh, it's, it's interesting. I'll make this quick. But we went on the trip, and we met the guides. And it was a small village that we were staying in, in uh, to transport us to the, to the river, by the way, which had small crocodiles on on each side of the of, of the river you could see them sunning so and we were told hey if you want to get into the river and have the river take you down a little bit it's very nice it cools you off because it was in the summer their summer and it's like okay there there are crocodiles on the side of the river and you want me to go into the water but they didn't come out into the middle and ultimately when we did get flipped we we were told there's a 95% chance we're not going to get through this one rapid without flipping. Just prepare for it. You know, we, we flipped. It was kind of scary. I got caught under the boat with 200 other people. Mm. And it's a little scary when you, got, when you get caught under a boat, but came out gasping for air and floated on my back down. And it's, you know, in retrospect, it's always worth it. You know, the more dangerous that you can get through. Uh, the, the greater the experience but what was what was fun about that was that afterward my I was with my cousin and my wife and my cousin had told the guides that I was also a drummer and they said you got to come to this club tonight because not only will you know we'll meet you there there's food but there's also a band playing so we went and it was it had a roof on it the the, the floor was was dirt there were wooden tables and the band, the drummer had his, his bass drum was a big round box with a, he had a pedal, but it was a, wasn't really a hard beater on the pedal. And the hi-hat were, were sh shells that were, well, you can't see me, but they were parallel shells that you would kind of click, but th there was no symbols of any sort to hit. And you played with sticks. But it was real authentic African music, and the drummer was kind enough to let me come in and sit in. And uh, man, it was a lot of fun playing with them, and they were they were screaming and loving it because I was doing some things that 
he didn't do. Obviously, he did a lot of things that, that I couldn't do. But between the two of us, there was a communication that was, it was really so wonderful and special. We enjoyed it a lot. We had a lot of laughs and, and it was really fun. So that trip turned into a musical experience, which I was thankful for. And see that, I mean, that's part of the uh, universal concept of what music is all about. It it is universal, and it is a connection for many people all over the world. It doesn't matter whether you're in Zambezi or if you're in Tenafly, New Jersey. Uh, You all speak the same language, uh, and it's a a language that everybody understands uh, among all the musicians in the room, if you will. And I think sometimes there's a person in Tenafly that's from Zambezi. There you, so. there you go. So uh, it, it works very well. I, I just thought that that was an interesting uh, morsel of information about you in, in uh, viewing some of your background, that you're, you're not a man afraid of adventure, obviously, and you've done a lot of things in your life, uh, ranging from your music experience through experience in the movies uh, and other things that uh, you pursued through your life. So uh, my hat's off to you, sir. Thank you very much. So let's talk a little bit uh, and, and start out about Richard Barada, the musician, because I think that's, first of all, key and central to what we're talking about today with your new release, Music and Film, The Real Deal. You started out your life, it seems, uh, destined for a life in the music business, but you ended up in the movie business. Tell us about the beginnings. Well, the beginning of music was, you know, when I was 10, 11, 12 is when I remember getting interested in playing the drums. I played a little saxophone and then later played a little flute, but I got interested in the drums. My brother was a, was a drummer and the drums were around the house, an old Slingerland set, by the way. You know, I would listen. My father was a piano player that put himself through college and then law school playing music and jazz he liked jazz you know but the jazz was from he was born in 1912 so the the music was from the you know the 30s and the 40s when he was going to college and he later became a a supreme court judge in new york state so i was always around music and law and i'll tie that in so my father would play all the time in the house and my mother sang opera so i would i would hear that so i had that kind of maybe genetic disposition to it, okay? Because three of us, uh, the four siblings I have, were very interested in music. So I started listening to music, and when I was, you know, a young kid, the Beatles were were just hitting the scene, and I remember people saying, it's unbelievable, listen to the Beatles, and I'd say, yeah, I guess they sound pretty good. But I was listening to, you know, Eldon Jones with John Coltrane, and I was listening to Miles, and I was listening to Dave Brubeck and, you know, and I was listening to Ahmed Jamal and that was my reference point. And that was my level of, uh, uh, of gauging somebody's, you know, ability and proficiency. So I grew up playing jazz as a kid. I was in a jazz band when I was 13, 14, 15, 16. And, you know, we dabbled a little bit in some funk stuff and some soul stuff, but I was really driven by the jazz. So subsequently I, moved, went to college, studied, was going to go to law school, obviously, because my father had the connections and he had the, the, you know, the wherewithal to see what it was like to be a musician and to be a lawyer and which one was going to set me up, at least economically. But I didn't have the heart for it. I really 
wanted to play music. It was in my blood. And then I, I walked away from the LSA, the law, the, the SA, not the, the LSATs. I mm -hmm. said, I'm not doing it. And I followed music and moved to New York City in 75 and stayed in New York from 75 to 84, played, did some traveling, some recording. And then I, I wasn't making enough money. I wasn't making enough headway onto the scene. I wasn't doing enough studio work, jingles work. And I wasn't making it economically. And I wanted to get married and I wanted to have some kids. And I grew up in Poughkeepsie, New York, and I was living in New York City. And I love New York City, but I, I also like the, the suburbs a little bit in the country. So a good friend of mine who lived in, in the, across the hall from me had a loft building. I was very fortunate to have a loft when I was a musician. He was a uh, production manager with Woody Allen. And he's, you know, and I kept saying, can I come to the set? I want to see what's going on with movies. And he would say, sure. you know, I'm coming to hear you play. So we would have that exchange. And eventually I said, I, I want to try this. This is too much fun. You know, mo I love movies. I used to do all the time, especially in the summer when it was hot and I couldn't afford air conditioning in my loft. So I would go to the afternoon, evening, double features. And he introduced me to somebody and he got me on Desperately Seeking Susan as a location scout. That was in 1984. And I worked on that movie that was with Madonna and Rosanna Arquette. And I didn't like it at all. I thought I was done. I didn't, I didn't like it. And because I was getting up in the morning and I was seeing music and I was going to work when all the campers and the trailers were pulling into the streets and I was seeing musicians with their horns and their, you know, cymbal bags going home. And I was saying, whoa, this is like, you know, there's a 180. What's going on? I don't want to do this. Get up at 4.30, 3.30 in the morning and set up. But you know, one movie led to another and one movie paid $50 a day and another one paid $75 a day and another one paid $100 a day. And I got, uh, I got the enticement was, was too much for me to turn down. And eventually I got more and more responsibility, which is what I was looking for. That's why I didn't like it because I was just learning, but I couldn't expect to know everything about what it takes to make a movie. It takes a long time to do that. So I stuck with it and Got into the Directors Guild as a location manager and as a second AD and eventually became a production manager. And after about 40 films or 35 films, became an executive, a producer, then an executive producer. And, and after 32 of those years, that's when I decided to go back and play music again. All I right. said, I've done this long enough. So it overlapped for three years. Now I'm not making any movies. Not too many people are anyway right now. But... All I want to do is play music right now. So when That's you the were, short story. Yeah, well, no, it's a great story, and, and thank you for laying that out. Uh, when you were away from music for a while, was there this longing or this sense of, gosh, you know, what am I doing? Because uh, I know sometimes either commitment or responsibility, economics play heavily into our lives uh, when we either get married or in a relationship or just life in general. You have to have sustenance or support somehow financially, and, and you find a way, but then there's always that longing or yearning to get back to something else. I Yeah, there were many moments I had, what am I doing? There were probably moments, I mean, I think everybody has those moments. Sometimes you have those moments with the job you choose. Sometimes you have the moments when you're married. What am I doing? 
what's going on here? But I didn't have those moments, so I don't want to say that. But uh, yeah, I missed it. But you know, what I always had was being living in New York, I always had the clubs to go to. So I still always maintain that contact with the music. And early on, it waned a little bit as I got further and further into the film business. But the people that I knew that played music, similar music at the clubs, I would see them. And over the years, you know, there would be less and less of those people through attrition. Some died and, and some moved on to other things as well or moved out of the city. And I always missed it. And I had a set of drums in the house. And, you know, I would go down and play once in a while. I mean, the film business is, is pretty demanding and it can be excruciatingly difficult at times. Not that other people don't have difficult jobs. But so I would go down and, you know, I would vent drums and maybe I'd have one gig every year, or every two years, but nothing major, you know, just something to go out and play. So I, to answer your question, yes, I had that longing, but I could satisfy it in, in different ways. But I, but I guess... I got to the point where I had to go back and do it again. And that's why I'm where I am right now. It is like a siren. You know, it, uh, you hear the sound and you, you, you got to be in touch with it. You got to go back to it uh, or you can't ignore it sometimes. So when yeah. you were in the movie business, did you occasionally uh, go to clubs or places where you could do a pickup gig or play some after hours clubs and, and join in? No, I really, I, I really didn't because it's tough to serve two masters, at least at that level. And there was no way that I was going to go to a club like Smoke or an after-hours session at Birdland and play without being at the top of my game. I just, I just wouldn't do it. You know, I didn't want to embarrass myself. And the, the level of the, these younger players uh, today and, you know, even 20 years ago, uh, you wouldn't just jump in. I could do it and, and, and have fun, but I wouldn't want to leave the impression with people that, you know, this guy comes down, he really doesn't play so well, but, but you know, he's in the film business, so we let him sit in. I, I, I didn't want to, I wanted to earn my way onto the bandstand instead of just going. But I would go out and hear music. And I would, like I said, I'd have a gig maybe once every year, once every two years, where I could hold my own for, for two hours, I could play, you know what I mean? I, I wasn't going to wear, I wasn't going to use all my repertoire up in two hours. So while you were doing the movies, uh, you obviously uh, did it very well because uh, you were quite successful uh, in the business. Uh, and to your credit, you were associated with over, what, 50 films and so forth. And these were not just uh, B movies or uh, th these were... Uh, blockbusters that you were involved in uh, for the benefit of some of our listeners that may not know Richard was involved even as uh, an executive producer to uh, so many uh, incredible movies of uh, even recent contemporary time as well that people would know like the Joker the Irishman uh, just a whole long list of uh, movie credits do you want to expand on that a little bit well, yeah, I was fortunate. I mean, I, I ended up moving out of, you know, the city to Tenafly and ended up having three kids. And I was very, very involved in their growing up. And so I didn't go out of town all that much. 
because I wanted to be near the kids. And all three of them were good, were good athletes. One of them was a real good baseball player and had some tryouts for a couple of teams uh, in the pros. But I didn't want to miss any of that. So that took the place of the music. So in a way, when that ended, that's what made me avail. When the baseball traveling in college and going to all those games ended, I had time on my hands because I was spending an awful lot of time traveling to baseball games, working on a movie and going to baseball games, college games. So when that ended, I had time. So when I got involved in the film business, you know, I just really immersed myself in it. And going backwards, yeah, the, I did The Joker and I did The Irishman and The Wolf of Wall Street and Pelham 123 and I don't know. I did five Spider-Man movies. I wasn't the executive producer on them, but I did those movies. It it just kind of grew into something that that I enjoyed. I mean, I love movies and anytime there was music in the movie, it was a, a, a double treat because I did I was a, a a co-producer on Across the Universe, the Julie Taymor film with the Beatles music. Mm-hmm. That was really great. I mean, it was really great to be involved that much in the music. Yeah, I mean, there you have it. I just, I got into it and then something happened, serendipity, and I got back into the, got back into the music, which was, happened as a result of being in the movie business. So, I don't know if I answered your question about the films, uh, if you wanted me to elaborate Mm -hmm. on some of those, some of those relationships. I mean, working with Marty Scorsese is a real treat. It's not easy. You know, he's very particular about what he wants and he's not going to, give in to any any studio they're not going to tell them what to do so that's a that's a management job because you have to balance your you have to balance yourself between pleasing the the director and and pleasing the studio i mean the studio is paying you to do the movie and sure. but the director's approving you to be his producer so you're kind of caught betwixt and between so you have to balance that and that's the hardest thing in as a, as a producer to do so uh you know great experience working with him and great experience working with todd phillips on the joker and and all those people they're all real bright people they're well traveled you know they're very creative so it's 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 in a way it's similar to to, to music but it's not but what's the the unifying thing about it is all films, almost all films, except have music in them. That's where I got the idea for the for the CD because it's all music from films. It's you know Bill O'Connell was the arranger on it, and and we sat down together and talked about different ways to play these tunes. And I tried to do some tunes that were from movies that I worked on, like Big and Working Girl and Across the Universe, and some other ones that we felt would be suited for a, a, a nice feel. When you made the transition back to the music side of life for yourself, when did you start thinking about this particular release that you have? I mean, it came out in September. When did it formulate in your mind's eye, and when did you begin to assemble your musicians? I'm going to take you back a, a little bit to answer that question. I was working on Spider-Man, the, the last one that I worked on, which was, I don't know, what are there, 12 of them? I don't even know anymore, but I was like maybe six or one of them, Homecoming or something I was working on. And we were working at Kaufman Astoria Film Studios in, in, in Astoria, Queens. And in the basement of the big facility with many stages, there was a, a commissary 
it was, it was a restaurant. It was called the Astor Room. And in the 20s, it was the commissary for Rudolph Valentino frequented it and W.C. Fields and the Marx Brothers and, you know, I mean, the, the, that array of people and Barrymore, uh, John Barrymore. So they, they turned it into, it had many, it had many incarnations, but they turned it in the latest one, like from 2016, they turned it into a, the Astro Room and it became a club, more of a cabaret club. And I was working on the movie and the, 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 the person that runs the studio said, I'd like to introduce you to someone. He manages this restaurant and maybe you could give us some tips on some music downstairs. And I said, sure, why not? So I went downstairs and it was October of 2016, I think. And he, he and I hit it off, uh, John. And I said, listen, here's what I think you should do, but you got to do me a big favor for all this advice. You got to let me play here. He said, well, you play? I said, well, I'm going to play now. I said, I did. I said, but this is a beautiful room and I want to come down. He had a, a nice uh, baby grand piano, six foot baby grand piano, Steinway. Mm -hmm. And I said, I want to come down with a trio, jazz trio. And he said, okay. And that night I played with Emmett Cohen and Russell Hall. And I didn't know Emmett Cohn and I didn't know Russell Hall, but I knew Walter Blanding, who plays with Wynton Marsalis in the big in the in the Jazz and Lincoln Center Orchestra and also with the quintet, sextet. And he introduced me to a couple of musicians, Emmett and, and Russell. And I played a trio gig there. And the owner liked it. And he said, Why don't you come in again? So right before Christmas, I went in there with Emmett on piano one night, Mike Ladon another night, and I had Russell Hall, and I had Eric Alexander, and I had Marcus Printup, and myself. And I hadn't played. I didn't know these people, but I asked them to play, and they loved the room, and I paid enough money to, to, to get them to play. And they dug it. They thought it sounded good, and they, they knew my story, and they were kind of amazed that I could do both things. And looking back on it, I don't know how well I did the music thing, but they loved it, and I just... The guy essentially gave me the keys to the place. He said, you come down and play whatever you want. Just help. So I ended up for three years playing there three times a month, you know, once a week, whatever. And I would come in with all these great musicians. That's how I met Vincent Herring and Bill O'Connell and Paul Bolenbach and, and all these great players. And it just, as the longer we played, and people were, were taken by the fact that I had done all these movies. It was so interesting to them. And I would give them a tour of the place that they said, man, that's so great. You ought to do something with the music and the film. And I it just said, well, that's it. So Vincent Herring and Bill said, you got to do something with the music and film. I mean, that's that's you. Just do it. So that was kind of the origin of this. That's why I was wondering, because, you know, here you are 30 plus years away from music in another uh, business, and then all of a sudden you're back. Uh, how do you reestablish yourself uh, and surround yourself with the, the musicians that you have on this recording, for example? But uh, you've now eloquently explained that through your gigging and getting to know some of these people. They wanted to know about you and the business that you were in, but little did they know that deep down inside you were this incredible drummer. Well, I don't know if they think I'm an incredible drummer or not, but deep inside they enjoyed playing 
and and hanging with me, I guess. And because of that, it just, you know, we've always had a good time. We have a real good relationship. I had Vincent Herring in my backyard yesterday. I mean, we can't play in clubs really in New York. Once in a while, you can do a podcast. So a couple of times a week, I have sessions in my backyard and people come out from the city and Vincent was here. And, you know, I guess they must enjoy it. And, and, the, and the music's good. And uh, this CD, I'm, I mean, I'm thrilled with with it i i don't use, i don't toot my horn i really don't i don't play a horn i play the drums but i don't <laughs> i don't toot my drums but the you know it's getting so much great play on i mean spotify it's it's like you know i mean it's got like 150,000 streams i'm i'm amazed you know i mean so i'm in, i'm in i'm in heaven with it and i think it's good i don't, I don't know what's going to happen with it but it's certainly a lot of people are listening to it and a lot of people are talking to me about it. So I guess it, it must be pretty good, I guess, you know. It is. There, there's no question about it. And of all those uh, hits on Spotify, I think 106 of those were mine. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> it's really great, Richard. I, and this isn't just to stroke you because you're here doing the interview, but I, I think to a track, uh, there, there's not any sort of uh, ho-hum kind of pieces on the album. Uh, everyone has its own, its own life, its own story, and, and just uh, a different approach. And I love the arrangements uh, that you've taken classical music from the movies and have put your name on it. And this is your first foray as a band leader? Is that correct? Yeah, well, I was, you know, I'd been a leader, but I never was a leader on, on a recording, on a studio recording. And, you know, obviously a lot of the credit goes to Bill O'Connell for the arrangements. I mean, I sat with him at his piano and we talked through things, but Bill put the pen to paper and, and put these things down. And, uh, you know, we had a commonality about it. And between Bowling Back and, and, and Bill and Vincent, so we had a good time doing it, and I think it comes out in the music. There's a, there's a, there's a nice vibe to the music. Oh no, there, there truly is, and it's uh, very, very listenable and enjoyable. When you were laying out all the tracks for this particular recording, the first track that you chose was that because it's the one that you wanted to make a statement or be the establishment for where you would move forward from there. How do you how do you set up the progression? for the release? That's a good question. I can only tell you how I set up the progression. You know, I, I, I don't know how people do it. I, I wanted to start with something that kind of defines my personality a little bit. I'm not a, like a laid back guy. I mean, so I wanted something that had energy to it. And luck be a lady that has that energy to it. And I think a lot of people know the song. talked it over a little bit with uh with bill 
and we just came up with that. That's a that's a good tune, maybe to hook some people to listen to the next tune. You know, the next tune's uh, different. first one's like a, a, an up-tempo samba uh, and then the next one's a little bit of a, a shuffle and the straight ahead up-tempo thing and then you go into Alfie which seems like everybody loves Alfie. getting all sorts of accolades so Vincent just kills that tune so I, I I don't know I you know I tried to mix it up and and hopefully it you know that's the it was set up okay so tell me uh, of the tracks that are on this recording uh, is there one you especially like I know it's like trying to pick out which kid you like best n n no I I know I, I don't know I mean I I I really like them all. I, they all—they're all different, and no, I, I can't. I no, I don't. I really don't know. I—they're all—they're all kind of special, you know. Chopsticks is kind of funny. Uh, That—that's you know, Chopsticks is from Big, which I worked on, and I wanted to throw that in. And Bill and I were saying, well, what the hell came from Big? And I said, you know, there's a great scene with Robert Loggia and uh, Tom Hanks at FAO Schwartz dancing on the keyboard playing chopsticks i said you know that's iconic i said why can we do something with chopsticks and bill started you know fiddling around he said let me think about it and you know when we sat down to play he said i got an idea for this they listen to this i went up to his house we don't live far from each other like a half hour and he played it and it was like oh yeah that's uh that can work And that's so that's a fun tune, you know. That was the biggest surprise of the tunes for mm -hmm. me. 
the other ones, you know, we've heard a million times. Right, but the, there's that familiarity, or as soon as you hear the first few notes, it's like, oh, I love that song, or yeah, I remember that movie. And is that kind of the thing that you wanted to invoke uh, for people listening? Yeah, I wanted to have the, the, the association of, of movies that I had worked on so there was that, that, that relationship for, for myself and for the audience. I thought it would be a, a good thing. But I didn't want to do it from all, all there were too many other two, there are too many other good movies that have good soundtracks to them. And if I do a second record, CD record, that goes, I'm showing my age, but if I do a second recording and we do more music and film, let's say, then there's certainly an abundance of tunes to choose from. And I would probably set it up the same way, try to get some from movies that I worked on and, and, and some not. Well, these are all great tunes on here, and uh, they are fantastic. Uh, as you said, Luck Be a Lady was important for you. Uh, you also mentioned Alfie and how uh, that's a, another one of those where I, I think everyone on the planet Earth knows uh, that music. My favorite, not that that matters, uh, although uh, to me, I mean, it really, I thought it was just an awesome piece. I mean, it really cooked too, is Come Together. Oh, that's great that you would say that. I, I love the fact that you like that tune because I remember sitting in my basement. We were going to play a gig at a, at a library somewhere. And I said, I want to play Come Together. And we said, how do you want to play it? And I said, well, I don't want to play it like the Beatles played it. I don't want to do that. I said, I got more of like an Afro-Cuban thing I want to try with it. And it was a little slow and we picked it up and after we played it a couple of times, then all of a sudden it settled in to that tempo. got to the end I remember saying to everybody we were in the studio I was saying I want everybody to drop out slowly because one of my favorite favorite drum pieces that I listened to and you might appreciate this is that you know Art Blakey used to do a lot of recordings he did orgy and rhythm where he had a bunch of drummers and then he did another one with where he had a lot of uh, uh, um, they were from Cuba, I think, in Puerto Rico. So he did a couple with just drummers. And at the end of, I think it's called Buhana Triangle, or it's with Dr. John. And he plays Shoe Fly, Don't Bother Me. Hmm. And Dr. John sings it. And at the end of the tune, and Art Blakey's on drums with a couple other drummers. And at the end of the tune, everybody drops out except for the drummers and the bass player. And they just got this rhythm, this New Orleans kind of African feel to it. And I wanted to kind of go in that direction. 
and and that's that's one of the cool aspects about it. But I think also just for you, it, it's kind of a showcase of you, the drummer, because you hear a lot of that, and and you you keep that piece together. Uh, you were the glue to make that thing happen and and stay together. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, there's a conga player playing in there with mm -hmm. me the whole time too, kind of holding it together. So, uh, yeah, thanks. It's it's you know it's just. You know, it's interesting when you play music, you can play out music, you can play in music, you can play classical music, you can play anything. But what you can't deny, even if you're, I guess, if you're Albert, Albert Eiler or, 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 or Cecil Taylor, when something's got a great feel to it and it's got a momentum to it and it swings, that's a, that's a great feeling. And that one kind of captured that. And it's really simple. It's really simple, but it's, but it really is, it was so much fun to play and it's fun to listen to. So, you know, that's sometimes the simplest things in life are the, are the most enjoyable. So uh, a great lineup of wonderful tunes on the, the whole piece uh, and it's now out and available. It's on Savant Records and it came out September 25th. But uh, at, at this point, Richard, where do you go? What's what's coming up? Well, at this point, where do we where do we all go? I mean, these are some really trying times right now. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to get into the politics of anything, but you know, being a movie guy and a music guy, you probably have a pretty good idea of what side of the line I stand on. But you know, this COVID thing has destroyed music. It's destroyed Broadway. It's destroyed classical music, philharmonics, dance, any performance art in the theaters. It's really difficult. And, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to have worked and, and, and made a living making movies, which is a different kind of art form. I mean, there's backings, there's money behind that. And, and, and you know, that's a lifeline. But music is very difficult, along with those other things that I mentioned. So uh, where do you go from here? You just hope that... We come out of this thing from a political standpoint and from a from a, a health standpoint uh, in a good place, and we're able to get back to to playing music and performing and and bringing people something that they really need. We all we all need it. I mean, music is universal. Arts are so important, so so important. I wish somebody would get that message across. To, to the people that really, you know, make those decisions. Mm -hmm. So I'm, where do I go from here? Let's say everything, you know, is cool and uh, life gets back to quote unquote normal. Uh, I guess I, you know, I go back into the studio and do another recording and, and try to get some, uh, you know, go on tour and do some festivals and do what musicians do, play. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we like to do. And I have the luxury right now of only wanting to play and having the ability to do that you know i don't have to teach i don't have to do any of that if a movie comes along or like a real an enticing movie i would think about going back and and producing another movie my son's a, a filmmaker my daughter's a filmmaker you know maybe they would ask me to get involved in something so i might do that i've been turning things down because i just want to do the music so you know, I don't know. I've always kind of approached life, you know, as it's going to take me where it's going to take me. I'm a responsible person, so I'm not going to 
let anybody down in that respect. But my kids are all grown up and my wife and I are, you know, we're, we're very independent. So we'll see where it goes. I don't know. It'll probably, I hope it goes someplace really interesting. You know, maybe I'll be back down there. Maybe I'll be in the Colorado River next time to to bookend the conversation. I went down the Zambezi. Maybe I'll, I'll overturn in the Colorado River. Who knows what'll happen? Well, then if you decide to do that, I hope we won't be up that proverbial creek without the paddle. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. very good. Well, uh, I, I will say that this has been uh, an enjoyable amount of time uh, spending with you today. And I, I, I will tell you that uh, you're, you're a fun man, an interesting man, and certainly a, a very uh, talented professional in our business uh, and obviously in other businesses too. So people uh, need to check this out. It's Music and Film, The Real Deal, and our band leader and our guest today was Richard Barada. Well, thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and I've heard good things about your show, so I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Well, well, thank you again for the time today, and all the best to you, your family, uh, your colleagues, and more importantly, uh, right now, as is uh, in respect to uh, this release, uh, I hope this has uh, a tremendous amount of success, and this puts you on yet another plane and a map for people to enjoy. Well, thank you very much. Your lips to God's ears. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with film producer and drummer Richard Barada. Our thanks to Ben Sidron for our theme song, Mr. P's Shuffle. Please join us for our next episode featuring a conversation with vocalist Noah Levy about her collaboration with bassist Shimpei Ogawa in a tribute to the music of Cole Porter. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the app you used to listen to us. We have new podcasts every Wednesday. You may subscribe for free. We are now heard on all top platforms, as well as Facebook and our website, allthatsjazz.net.